The Courage to Lead, episode 198. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Please help me welcome Scott Mason. Scott Mason is a speaker, author, podcaster, and a coach who works with executives and successful entrepreneurs feeling stuck or stagnant in their career or business and are ready for a change. After graduating from Columbia Law School, Scott worked for over 20 years as an attorney and senior executive with a variety of organizations in the government and the nonprofit sectors before successfully growing and scaling a manufacturing company. His insights on leadership and transformation have appeared in both book compilations and online magazines such as Authority, Vents, Medium, and CEO Blog Nation. Scott combines his wealth of large organizational and entrepreneurial experience with a long-lasting and deep love of Greek mythology with all of its fun, excitement, and deeper universal meanings to help his clients magnetize and monetize professional freedom by dislodging toxic myths to ignite charisma within. Scott, welcome to the show. It is such a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. And I love this. So toxic myths. Toxic I mean, I love myths. Greek mythology. And when we <laughs> talked the first time, I was just, I was sold, right? But what, <laughs> what do you mean by toxic myths? So I'm going to start by talking a little bit about what mythology is in a business context. Myths, as you know, are stories reflecting religions that people used to believe in starting thousands and thousands of years ago. And the the myths, as told and put together into stories, contain characters that are symbolic of human characteristics that are pretty much eternal, as well as descriptions of situations, feeling states, or problems that the human condition uh, encounters over and over again, as well as solutions, warnings, or pathways to dealing with those problems. Some of the myths are happy, comic sort of myths, or triumphant. Some of them, though, are tragic. And with you, if you look at mythology as a as an academic study, and I'm not a mythologist by trade, but if you are someone that really reads about mythology and studies it over a while, uh, you will see that myths tend to fall into a wide variety of different categories, some of which I mentioned earlier. Now, these myths have their power because they relate to the stories that we tell ourselves. In fact, I would argue that they categorically define the stories that we tell ourselves. Toxic myths are the stories that we tell ourselves that are ultimately destructive, that they keep us stuck or held back. They may appear to have a uh, positive spin, at least in their earliest sections, but ultimately they lead to, at best, stagnation, at worst, to personal and professional destruction. Absolutely. I can I can see that now. Thinking back at some of the Greek mythology and stuff, I can see how that can, can lock people in. All right. I want to dive into that a little bit more. Um, but before we get started, 
I've yes. got 10 questions. These ah! are, I know, 10 icebreaker questions. I'm terrible. No, no, no. Um, these are questions, uh, listeners, you guys know, these are from the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host, James Lipton, asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I always figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're more than good enough for my guests. So, Scott, if you're ready, 10 simple questions for you. Absolutely. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Helios. And for those who don't know what that is, that is the Greek god of the sun. Very cool. All right. What is your least favorite word? Hades, the Greek <laughs> god of the underworld. <laughs> exactly. And all that goes along with that. All yeah. right. What turns you on? Good EDM music with a beat and ideally some vocals. There you go. All right. What turns you off? Dirge-like, boring, chest-beating, old-school music that is designed to merely make people feel comfortable rather than to challenge them and push them. Nice. Okay. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Ah, I love the sound of a New York City or other big city street. I was once in Delhi, India, and you could hear everything from endless motorcycles and motor scooters to um, wagons being carried to elephants on the street. That to me is a city. That to me is vibrancy. That's life. Life. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. What sound or noise do you hate? Screaming. Especially if it is a shrill shriek of um, indignation or self-righteousness, um, particularly if faced with something that makes us uncomfortable or that we're unprepared to deal with in a more calm and rational way. There you go. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Spell check always changes it to duck. <laughs> Excellent. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh, I love it. Well, maybe I would have, I would, I've always wanted to be, since I mentioned EDM earlier, I've always wanted to be an electronic dance music producer. I don't want to be the face and the singer because in that genre, you get fired. You're just sort of the featured buyer. You might have one hit and then it's over. Ask right. all those disco divas from the 70s. <laughs> I want to be the man behind the scenes that's controlling the sound, pushing it forward, changing musical direction, creating subgenres in a way that actually electronic music is notorious for. Excellent. Very cool. All right. What profession would you not like to do? <laughs> that's easy because I've done it already. <laughs> Attorney. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Yo, homeboy, I got the answers. I I'm not gonna keep it all mystical anymore. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay it on the line, okay? Seriously, God. Can't you be a little bit more plain spoken? Does everything have to be a revelation? Can't you just say it straight? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, homeboy. Okay, that's exactly. awesome. that's a first. That is a definite <laughs> first. <laughs> hey, they say you should be able to relate personally to God, so I'm absolutely my own language. Good deal. Good deal. <laughs> All right, Scott. We're going to come back talk about how you got your start, uh, your time in law, how you made the transition to what you're doing now, who you work with, how you help them, and then at some point we're going to transition into courage and leadership. 
All right. Yes. Yes. All right. Listeners, we'll talk about all that and a lot more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Scott Mason. Scott, thanks again for taking time out of your day to uh, visit with us. Whereabouts are you? You're up in New York City? You got it. Upper West Side near Central Park. I've been here a long time. Yeah, beautiful area. Very cool. I can't afford it, but I'm glad that you can. (laughs) (laughs) So on your LinkedIn profile, you bill yourself as the myth slayer. Indeed. And uh, that is exactly what I'm about. People need it. So when you're working with folks, um, I I imagine they're leaders, executives and things like that. And then you work with them. How do you identify what those myths are that are holding them back or keeping them from being successful? There are two principal tools that I use for them to self-analyze, go deep, and then pull out what is toxic and keeping them from rising to the full scope of their possibility. Now, there are five general categories of myths that I've identified that in one way or another tend to show up as blocks for uh, people's true self-actualization as leaders. One, uh, there is a tragic origin myth, which is basically saying that my origins have led me to a life or a situation that's awful. Number two, there's a ritual myth, which is a myth that basically justifies behaviors uh, through through an invented through an invented reality. So in other words, the behaviors that you're justified or the behaviors that you're comfortable engaging in ultimately justify your actions themselves. It's a circular sort of thinking. Number three, the social myth, which is when someone is living their life according to the expectations of others. Number four, the apocalyptic myth, which is the myth that everything is a doomsday. And then number five, the underworld myth, that one is condemned to a life of spiritual, emotional, mental, or uh, or other um, darkness forever. So we look at whether their personal narratives, particularly about themselves as leaders, fits within an any of those five categories. If not, we examine whether their myths, if neutral or positive, are influenced by toxic roles that they might play, which can poison otherwise neutral or even positive uh, self-mythologization that occurs. Wow. Wow. All right. You talked about the apocalyptic myth. Yes. That seems to be kind of rampant today. There, you know, there's a lot of stuff, shootings, a lot of yeah. Kids bringing guns to school, things like that. It's that nihilism, that nihilistic. Uh, yeah, you know, everything is is for naught. There's there's no hope. What does yes. it matter? Type thing. Is that kind of the apocalyptic? It can be that, or it can manifest itself in pettier ways. For instance, I had a boss once that viewed breaking a fingernail as the same as a nuclear war. If everything is an emergency. 
Right. Or if you're not able to prioritize and get yourself constantly whipped up, if you're micromanaging, if you are constantly expecting and bringing into a conversation that you have a disastrous outcome, or if you're someone that is always sitting back and saying, well, this solution is going to cause X, Y, Z problem. Uh, you know, it's that solution is going to cause another problem, but not able to come up with a solution of your own. You're actually living in a mindset that is apocalyptic. You are exemplifying the apocalyptic myth. Wow. Yeah, a, a few people come to mind with that. Yeah. Absolutely. It's and then rampant. The, the social myth where you live your life based on what other, their perceptions of you are, their expectations of you yeah. are, living whatever they think is important for you. That's that's a whole culture right now. It is one of the most dangerous and almost always tragic examples of how mythology can play out in one's personal life. For instance, you have people, and I have seen this happen in my own professional life, not to me, thankfully, but to people I've known, where they haven't wanted to be lawyers. They may have wanted to be an artist or a fashion designer or something else. They end up in law or accounting or business or a similar sort of profession. But I'm going to talk about law for a minute because their family expected them to do that. And what happens? They're terrible at it. I know someone that got disbarred. She was miserable in her position for years. The irony of it was once she was disbarred, she couldn't live that particular myth anymore. It had ended. She was free to be the artist that she had always dreamt of being and her life actually got better. I myself had no particular desire intrinsically to become a lawyer. I did that because of social pressures or my own belief about what social pressures were upon me. I lived out that social myth catastrophically. What type of law did you do? I was initially a litigator. I went quickly into in-house counsel sort of roles. Uh, so I was providing general advice to an organization about everything from employment matters to regulatory matters to uh, how to navigate governmental affairs. Um, it was not the worst legal pathway that I could have taken from my perspective, but it still wasn't me. Yeah. Did you like litigation? I despised it really more than anything I've ever hated in my life. I'll be honest. It was all about ripping other people apart. Sure. Number one. Yeah. And that is fundamentally not who I am. I'm someone who wants to create, to change and shift things for the better, not just feel good because I've cross-examined a witness and broken them down on the stand. Not only that, but as a litigator, what are you doing? You're always cleaning up other people's messes. I would far rather, if I were to be perfectly honest with you, be the one creating the mess <laughs> and then getting someone else to clean it up. Exactly. At least if I'm creating the mess, I'm doing something that's not purely reactive. And litigation itself ultimately was reactive. Yeah. Awesome. So how did that transition come about from uh, the attorney to the myth slayer? How did that happen? Yeah. I eventually moved into executive management roles and leadership roles of the sort that you mentioned at the top of the hour uh, across sectors, and then decided to transfer those skills into the entrepreneurial space, which you also mentioned at the top of the hour. Ultimately, those things gave me a terrific body of knowledge, experience, and seasoning that I could bring into any situation going forward, but they were not really at the core of my heart. I knew 
that I had the intellectual capacity and the creativity to take everything that I had learned and fundamentally create a new space for dialogue that was totally original um, in business and to help those who had walked similar paths to the one uh, that I had walked. And so with that desire in mind, I looked deep inside myself. I visited the inner oracle within Scott Mason to figure out, well, what is that uniqueness? What is that area that I can shift um, the discussion into that really speaks to me from my heart, that can really elevate me and everyone around me? I have been obsessed with Greek mythology since I was a child. I'll never forget the first time I saw a book about it. It hit me like Zeus's thunderbolt. And it's been a part of my life ever since. Ultimately, I realized understanding why these things had spoken to me so much and so consistently through my life was going to tie into that desire to shift dialogue. Um, And once they married, the myth slayer was born. So working with these leaders and working with the leadership teams and everything like that, is it is it pretty easy to sit in and, and kind of observe and say, aha, this myth, this myth, this myth, that they're playing out? Is it pretty easy to distinguish what, what they are? It can be if the behaviors are overt. Okay. Sometimes it's not, though. A lot of the myths, for instance, the tragic origin myth, are the products of circumstances that may or may not be externally manifested. Someone may realize that they have an issue, for instance, or that certain behaviors aren't outwardly acceptable, and so they may uh, cover up the true story, or they may alter their behavior so that the negative myth plays out in a way that is uh, wrapped in subterfuge. So a lot of times, in fact, I would say almost always, it's worth a deeper examination with the leader to figure out what's going on, Uh, particularly too, because they may have actually, we talked a little bit earlier about roles that you can play in myths. Sometimes people commit themselves to playing roles in myths that are horrible. They don't realize or they can't see or imagine that there is an opportunity for them to play a role that's positive. And mythology provides pathways for that too. So the unlocking process, I believe, should be deep. I always tell people, working with me is not a pep rally coaching experience. This is a real, deep, intellectually challenging, but profoundly transformative experience. But yeah, in the in the old Greek mythology, you have your main character that either is being acted upon or is acting, right? Yes. You have your supporting characters that are uh, the conscious that comes out and says different things, or the you know social piece that comes out. Are, do you find them playing different roles at different times, or are they usually locked in that one role? For the purposes of their leadership, they may be playing more than one role at a time. That usually occurs when there are toxic roles that are dominating the situation. So, for instance, someone, there are two of the toxic roles are victim and bystander. Someone can both be playing the victim, which is someone who is, as you can imagine, 
acting in a, in a state in which they are constantly seeing themselves as having a lack of full agency, even if they are a leader. They're the sort to blame everyone else for their problems. But they can also be playing the role of bystander. In mythology, every hero ends up saving some city or some culture or some other group of people. Who are these people? They were usually eaten up by the monsters or they have met, they may have been thrown off a cliff or otherwise suffered some horrible fate. The myths don't care about them. They're just bystanders. A lot of times a victim can simultaneously play a bystander in the larger organization that they are a leader within. I'm, I'm just another cog in the wheel when they are managing up. And in that situation, you can have a double um, layer of toxicity that goes into their role within the organization and that plays out downwardly with their staff. Wow. And so then working with them, do you like introduce them to the, the, the myth and the characters and kind of show them this is what this looks like over here? And do they see themselves? And they yes. say, oh, that's what I'm doing. Yes. First of all, there is an extensive program of homework as well as discussion back and forth about this. And one of the things I make uh, sure that we have down before the first session even starts is an understanding of the basic mythological framework. Do they need to know every Greek myth of course not. But do they need to fundamentally understand what a toxic myth is, what a toxic role is? Yes. And as we move forward, they also have to understand the three positive roles that they can step into, as well as be prepared to create a more positive myth. So we do go through this intellectual exercise and engage with them. And one of the things I like to do is actually have them write down their myths. Because going to your second point a minute ago, you'd be surprised by what can come up through the process of thinking about each of these myths. They may be acting out roles or living out stories or trapped in stories that they don't even realize, multiple ones. There's true power. And I'll tell you something that's realer than me, which is that when you see them understand this and understand that these roles or these myths that they're writing for themselves can be changed, being given a millennia old framework for doing so, people dive in, they transform, and they adopt the language in their thinking. It's a beautiful thing when it happens. That is awesome. Very cool. So of, of the, of the was it five different main myths? Yes. The five is toxic it, myths? Yeah. Is there one that comes up more often than others? Is there one at the top of the list that really happens? Yes. I would say the social myth and the tragic origin myth. That being said, the underworld myth can come up a lot too, simply because uh, if particularly if people are stuck in dead-end jobs and feeling despair, um, it may seem like they've been condemned to hell. And that's what that's all about. Uh, the, the toxic, the, the origin, tragic origin, that's yes. kind of, well, you know, yes, I'm, I'm in prison, but hey, that's the life I was dealt, right? That's yeah. my, my family. It's, it's, you know, just, I have no control over it. It's who I am. Yeah. That type of thing. Can people actually break out of that? Oh yeah. I've done it myself. Once you accept that it's just a myth, thinking about the three positive roles becomes a lot easier. Maybe I'll take a second and just explain to you what those are. The first and most famous positive role is that of the hero, which is someone that is making the journey 
from a toxic role or toxic myth into a more positive place. It's important, though, to understand that a hero is a traveler. The role is inherently a transitory one. So although people talk about themselves as a hero of their story almost as a matter of cliche, really, it's only something that is temporary. The other two roles, I would argue, are far more profound. The second role is of the Olympian. In Greek mythology, once you made the choices that ultimately led you down the heroic path and your journey was complete, you experienced something called apotheosis, which was the transformation into an immortal being. Achilles, for instance, a hero in the Trojan War, was given the ability in the afterlife to be able to go back and forth between our world and this paradise that he entered into afterwards. Hercules ultimately went to Mount Olympus itself. If you are an Olympian, you are in a space of creation, of true connection to yourself in the most profound way. And by the way, you demand the tribute and the respect in life that you deserve. The final role is the deepest and perhaps most important of all. And that is the author. Myths only exist because people like Homer or Hesiod wrote them down. Heroes, like I mentioned a minute ago, make a choice to change their life situation. And in the myths, it was because they understood that by making that choice, they themselves would become the subject of great epics to be told for thousands of years. We each have that same power to author our own journey into Olympus. So the most important is the first and most comprehensive and a step that cannot ever be let go is to be Homer or Hesiod with your own life to say that I'm going to rewrite the myth. I'm going to rewrite my own role. When you have that, you can create your own Olympus. So is that part of the whole work you work the, the leaders through? Absolutely. I have a four-step process. And the second step is going into, uh, like I mentioned earlier, your inner oracle, finding out what your inner truth is, and then ultimately taking the steps to write that myth. Very cool. I, I imagine you talk about this on your podcast, right? Purpose Highway? Purpose Highway has discussed it tangentially. Purpose Highway discusses changes in the structural systems that we as a society have had in place for thousands of years relating to how people connect with each other in order to find meaning. And meaning I define as purpose, ethics, and spirituality. Those systems are changing radically, just as radically as the advent for instance, of Christianity um, was with the old mythological systems like the Greeks and the Romans. What is going to replace systems that are being increasingly rejected by large portions of our society? Purpose Highway explores leaders who are breaking new ground um, in these areas of connecting people through their search for ethics, purpose, and spirituality. Very cool. How long have you been doing your podcast? It's been a couple of years, and um, we have incredible guests on it, and I'm very proud of what they've been able to bring to the table. A lot of it's been groundbreaking. Excellent. Very cool.
So do you have a book that kind of pulls all this together? I'm in the process of writing a book that will explain all of this in depth. That being said, I recently contributed to a compilation book called Shared Wisdom, published by Red Penguin Press. It is a compilation of um, advice concerning business from a number of different successful business leaders. And I have a chapter in the book that explicitly lays out this framework and describes what the five toxic myths are, the role of um, how we choose to engage within our myths, uh, how that can look, and ultimately what it means for people that are looking to up-level their leadership or succeed in business. What do you think that uh, your book will be out? Ah, my book will hopefully be out in 2023. But if you want to get a preview of it, you should follow me on LinkedIn um, at s.scottmason because I am actually um, in my daily posts putting together previews of what that content will be by breaking down Greek myths related to business transformation and leadership lessons on almost a daily basis. Very cool. Good stuff. So this podcast is about courage. Yes. Where do people find the courage to create their own success? Where do they find the courage to walk away from the comfort zone and that safety net of the nine to five to create their success? Where do they find the courage to overcome the setbacks, like the divorce, the bankruptcies, right? Illness, death. Deciding to go to law school was a courageous yeah. step. Deciding yeah. to walk away from law was a courageous step. Yeah. Um, where did that courage come from? Where did you find your courage? You know, for better or worse, sometimes you can't find the courage until you are in a place in which there's nothing left. And in my case, you know, I went from government agency to government agency, although on the outside, each of the career transitions that I made represented promotions or better and better opportunities. And when I went then into the nonprofit sector, the job that I had, and then uh, the promotion that I got very shortly after I started there, again, all looked like they were fantastic opportunities. And they looked fantastic on a LinkedIn profile page or on a resume and in conversation and certainly had fantastic experience. But they were so unfulfilling. I will be absolutely honest with you. Two incidents illustrate how far I'd fallen. One, I had a 7 a.m. meeting. And after that meeting was over, I went across the street from the office where I was working to get some breakfast. And I'll never forget as I was crossing the street, I was um, stepping off the curb onto the sidewalk. And I looked to my right and there was one of those metal coffee carts that sits on curbs and a man curbs. And he was selling um, coffee to people for 75 cents a pot. And I saw him with this huge smile, hand a customer a cup of coffee. And when I saw that smile on his face, I hated him with every fiber of my body. I couldn't feel anything but utter rage and disgust. How dare he smile? How dare he feel satisfaction? Who did he think he was? How could someone deserve that? And then around that time, I started looking in the mirror in the morning. 
I'd get up and I'd splash water on my face and then look um, at the, my reflection over the bathroom vanity. And in my eyes, I started to see nothing. Was, I realized I didn't have a soul. That's what I felt like. And I'll tell you, having a soul and then losing it and looking and seeing yourself that way is a bad experience to have. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I had to fall psychologically and emotionally so far. There wasn't anything inside to be able to gather the courage. At first, I don't know if it was courage as much as merely the will to survive, really actually live again. But sometimes that's what needs to happen. Sometimes it merely is a sense of dissatisfaction, a feeling that fire is lost, or that you're capable of more, but somehow it's out of reach. It may be what I call a providential pull a sense that can emerge in the back of the mind that the universe wants more for you. And when that happens, courage actually can be right within grasp. Usually the person just needs a reminder that they have it within them. So it can be a couple of different circumstances. So when you say, and I know other people who have expressed something very, very similar, lost their soul. Was it, in doing something that you thought was expected, but not something that fulfilled you? It was everything. I lived out all five of those toxic myths. That's why I'm such an expert in them. That's why I feel so strongly about them. I had social expectations that weren't mine, that I was choosing to live out. I was engaging in rituals every day that weren't connected to anything other than my own need to act them out for whatever reason. I had stopped being able to see anything other than calamity around myself, including my own life. I completely lost hope and connection with my spirituality. I literally was playing every negative role in the book. There's no part of my experience at that time or the story or the narrative that I was telling myself that wasn't in one way or another toxic. Wow. But you made it through. I you did. found your calling. Yes, awesome. absolutely. And I share with people that if I can make it through, if I can find that path, if I who was living out all of these toxic myths to the nth degree could start to write a new myth for myself. They can too. Empathy can help people find a lot within themselves. I'm honest both in public appearances and with my clients about the depths to which I fell. And I do that because people sometimes think that no one has suffered more than them or that no one can understand what they're feeling. It's a lie. Other people have, but when they know that and they see that other people have made it through, they can live it out themselves. And I want that for them more than anything. Absolutely. Very cool. So where do you find your clients? Do they 
do you work for big uh, corporations? Do you work for nonprofits? Do you find individuals? Yes. So I have done some leadership facilitation work. The bulk of the work that I have right now is for clients that are successful entrepreneurs or solopreneurs or uh, large organizational leaders uh, that are looking usually to up-level their own leadership abilities. They may understand that their careers are stuck um, or not fulfilling their potential, or they may have even had a career derailment because of some of the behaviors that are the result of having lived out these toxic myths or playing these toxic roles. Sometimes an intervention has occurred. Maybe they've been fired and an attorney has spoken to them and said, look, you need to, uh, you need some executive coaching or a recruiter. Or sometimes they've been offered a chance to uh, work with someone and it hasn't quite fulfilled their needs. Maybe it's been a superficial, almost like therapy-oriented counseling as opposed to a truly transformative program. Um, When I work with people like that, it is amazing how it can transform them. And we're always driven towards ultimately producing the outcome that they want, which is better leadership, more professional success. Nice. Very cool. I love this whole program. I love the whole thing. I think it's great because it gets to the heart of it. It's easy for people to understand. We all try to, as coaches, we use analogies yeah. to try to get people to kind of see this and then go, oh, now I see how that plays into this. I think this is a, a key way to do it because we may not know all the Greek you know, mythos that are out there and stuff, but we've heard some of them and they make yeah. sense. We know yeah. about Hercules. We know about, you know, but the thing that gets me is a lot of people, they don't read. And I'm, I'm telling everybody, read the Bible. You don't have to believe it, but yeah. read it. Because Absolutely. so many things are based on that. The Greek myths that are out there, all the, the history is, is out there. All these things tie in together. And it's so easy to get caught up in something that you may not understand. How do I get out of this? You hear the story and you kind of go, ah, yeah. if he can do it, maybe I can do it too. And I've got to say, If we're going to have a deep, intellectually challenging, rich, transformational experience where a lot of things are going to be confronted and real work is going to occur to develop a new mythological foundation, you might as well have some fun along the way. And let's face it, the Greek myths are exciting and fun. It's amazing. One of the things I like to do is have my clients identify a um, an Olympian or a heroic avatar for themselves. And it's not only to have something to aspire to, but in Greek mythology, the heroes or the Olympic gods all had opposites. And we can find real meaning um, from examining those opposites and looking at the avatars that uh, that personify those opposites. Folks, get into it. They find all sorts of obscure deities and stories, and they get their spouses involved and their drivers or their kids, especially their children a lot of times love it because it video games have elements of Greek mythology built into them, as do a lot of these Marvel movies and other things. And so it's actually a way to connect people to each other in ways that they might not expect. I believe fun has to be part of every transformational project. Um, Look, Hercules may have had some labors that were tough to endure, but he had his victories too. And it's hard to believe he didn't crack a smile or two whenever those victories happened. Absolutely. No, I think he had to. And you look at some of the big movies, like I said, they're based on a lot of these myths, right? They just yeah. kind of recreate the character, but there's fun in it. Totally. You know, there's little cracking humor here and there. So yeah, absolutely. So what's next for you? 
I mean, you say you got the book in the works. What else is coming up? So I'm going to continue to expand my practice and uh, get more and more clients and transform more lives. I'm looking, as we mentioned earlier, to finish up a book that I would like to have out in 2023. And I want to and am constantly looking for greater opportunities to appear on podcasts like this or in public speaking engagements so the message can get out there. A little bit later this summer, early in the fall, I am going to be starting up a YouTube channel that will have very dramatic and exciting retellings of these myths tied to business. Now, it might shock anyone listening to this, but I actually am capable of being a little bit theatrical. And when I do that, it really is able to, uh, people are really able to feel these myths. And again, I want to bring a sense of excitement and fun to the transformational process while still keeping it substantive. Also, you're the very first to hear this, but soon... The Myth Slayer is going to manifest himself as a graphic novel style character that will be having little comic strips that show up on social media that will help people understand these lessons too. Uh, Look, we might as well, like I said, laugh and have fun. And comics and a lot of the movies based on comics are all rooted in mythology. Let's take it to another level here. And that's what I'm all about. That's awesome. Very cool. A graphic novel. That's, That's perfect. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you have room for an extra character in there, you can throw Coach Coach Harlan in there. And, you know uh, what? You might just find yourself living out a myth. But I promise I yours will be heroic. Heroic. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. This has been amazing. I, I knew we'd have a great time with this. And I would love to have you back on and talk. After your book is out, let's get it out here and, and talk more about it. All right? I love it. All right. If people want to get in touch with you now, and you said they can follow you on LinkedIn, because you yes. are all over LinkedIn. How else can they follow you? What's your website? My website is under construction, although by the time this is published, and certainly by the time many of your people, uh, your audience members will be finding it and listening to it or watching it, um, it will be public. It is myfreedomrocks.com. Myfreedomrocks.com. One word. Also, find me on Instagram, s.scott underscore Mason, or check out the Purpose Highway podcast that we discussed earlier at PurposeHighway.com. That's PurposeHighway.com, a single word. Excellent. Very cool. I will have all of those links in the show notes so people can reach out to you and stuff. And Scott, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been brilliant. Absolutely. All right, listeners, hope you guys were taking notes. A lot of good information here. Uh, Be on the lookout for the book. We will make sure that that's uh, out there publicized once it's out. Follow mm-hmm. Scott on, on LinkedIn, S. Scott Mason. Right? Yes. Again, I'll have all those links in the show notes. So, Scott, thank you very much. Listeners, make sure you share this episode with all your family, friends, and colleagues. And stick around. There's always more coming. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now. Bye.